content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our February 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? A program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons, all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. And the Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in the program. Now, this program is all about books with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. Now, the library has more than 11,000 patrons or users across the state. And if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have information about that at the end of this program as well. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of January 2021 at the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. Let's begin the program today with a a review, actually, of a book called The Mountains Wild by Sarah Stewart Taylor. And this is from a review that was written by Kate Ayers in June of this past year, 2020. It's been 23 years since Maggie Darcy's cousin, Aaron, went missing while living in Ireland. Maggie remembers the day they got the call. Uncle Danny wasn't up for the trip, so she volunteered to go over and help the Irish Gardai in whatever way she could. But all too soon, the case went cold, and she returned home to Long Island. Now, once again, Maggie receives a call from a friend in the Gardai. A scarf has been found on a trail in the mountains where Aaron was known to have gone walking. They believe it was hers. Maggie thinks so, too. She gave her that scarf as a Christmas present. And there's more troubling news. Another young woman, a girl named Nyama, has disappeared. Maggie rushes to Dublin, knowing that any assistance she offers may have to be finessed because the police procedures don't allow sharing information with outsiders. She is now an experienced detective on Long Island, so she believes she can help. In fact, a case she solved by capturing a kidnapper right before he killed his victim received international coverage. But that won't change things with another department, especially a foreign one. Still, she has been haunted by the mystery of what happened to Aaron for over two decades. So she has to at least try. Raleigh Byrne, Maggie's old contact in the Gardai, must walk a thin line. His empathy for the family's distress leaves him wanting to ease her worry, but he has to adhere to the office standards. Maggie has her ways, though, of insinuating herself into the case. She remembers most of the people who were interviewed 23 years ago and hopes that reviewing their statements may break loose an important bit of information. 
Maybe new eyes will catch something overlooked long ago. But she must be careful, as she's well aware that danger lurks when stalking a killer. Maggie looks enough like Aaron to cause alarm when confronting persons of interest. In fact, a flicker of recognition flashes across the face of more than one. And since Aaron was last seen walking into the woods on a remote trail, Maggie is putting herself at risk by retracing her cousin's steps. Plus, there's the troubling fact that several other women have gone missing in the intervening years. A pattern, if one exists, indicates that the police have two weeks, maybe slightly more, to find Nyama. Time is running out fast. Maggie couldn't help Aaron, but she's desperate to save Nyama. Far beyond a simple mystery, The Mountains Wild is a gorgeous rendering on paper of Ireland in all its beauty. Sarah Stewart Taylor captures the moodiness of the Irish mist, the bustle of Dublin streets, and the crisp bite of the morning air. You can hear the Irish brogue in the pubs, smell the Guinness in the pint glasses, and feel the warmth of the peat fire after stepping in from the cold. Taylor has a lyrical style to her writing that makes every sentence a pleasure to read, and every pleasurable sentence brings readers closer to answering the crucial question, What happened to Aaron? This is a five-star read. That is a wonderful review written by Kate Ayers on June 25th in 2020. And again, the book is called The Mountains Wild, and it's by Sarah Stewart Taylor. The next most popular book at the Library for the Blind uh, this past month was a nonfiction book. It's called Why They Marched. Untold Stories of the Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote, and it was written by Susan Ware. Looking beyond the national leadership of the suffrage movement, an acclaimed historian gives voice to the thousands of women from different backgrounds, races, and religions whose local passion and protest resounded throughout the land. For too, far too long, the history of how American women won the right to vote has been told as the tale of a few iconic leaders, all white and native-born. But Susan Ware uncovered a much broader and more diverse story waiting to be told. Why They Marched is a tribute to the many women who worked tirelessly in communities across the nation, out of the spotlight, protesting, petitioning, and insisting on their right to full citizenship. Ware tells her story throughout the lives of 19 activists, most of whom have long been overlooked. We meet Mary Church Terrell, a multilingual African-American woman, Rose Schneiderman, a labor activist building coalitions on New York's Lower East Side, Claiborne Catlin, who toured the Massachusetts countryside on horseback to drum up support for the cause. Mary Johnston, an aristocratic novelist bucking the southern ruling elite. Emmeline W. Wells, a Mormon woman in a polygamous marriage determined to make her voice heard, and others who helped harness a groundswell of support. 
We also see the many places where the suffrage movement unfolded in church parlors, meeting rooms, and the halls of Congress, but also on college campuses and even at the top of Mount Rainier, few corners of the United States were untouched by suffrage activism. Ware's deeply moving stories provide a fresh account of one of the most significant moments of political mobilization in American history. The dramatic, often joyous experiences of these women resonate powerfully today as a new generation of young women demands to be heard. Sounds like a wonderful book. It's called Why They Marched, Untold Stories of the Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote. And it was written by Susan Ware. Now back to some more fiction. The next book we want to talk about on the program is A Bride of Convenience, The Bride Ships, Book 3 by Jody Hedlund. Now here's the plot. Unemployed mill worker Zoe Hart jumps at the opportunity to emigrate to British Columbia in 1863 to find a better life and be reunited with her brother, who fled from home after being accused of a crime. Pastor to miners in the mountains, Abe Merivale discovers an abandoned baby during a routine visit to Victoria and joins efforts with Zoe, one of the newly arrived brideship women, to care for the infant. While there, he's devastated by the news from his fiancée in England that she's marrying another man. With mounting pressure to find the baby a home, Zoe accepts a proposal from a minor of questionable character after he promises to help her locate her brother. Intent on protecting Zoe and frustrated by his failed engagement, Abe offers his own hand as groom. After a hasty wedding, they soon realize their marriage of convenience is not so convenient after all. The book is called A Bride of Convenience, The Bride Ships, Book 3, and it's by Jody Hedlund. Now let's look at another book that was very popular over the holidays and right on through the month of January at the Library for the Blind. This is a book called A Dog's Perfect Christmas by W. Bruce Cameron. Uh, The perfect feel-good holiday gift from W. Bruce Cameron, the number one New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of the A Dog's Purpose series. So this is another in the series of A Dog's Purpose. Here's the plot of this one. The problems fracturing the ghost family. Our Christmas approaches are hardly unique, though perhaps they are handling them a little bit differently than most people might. But then a true emergency arises, one with the potential to not only ruin Christmas, but everything holding the family together. Is the arrival of a lost puppy yet another in the string of calamities facing them? Or could the little canine be just what they all need? 
A Dog's Perfect Christmas is a beautiful, poignant, delightful tale of what can happen when family members open their hearts to new possibilities. You will find love and tears and laughter, the ideal holiday read. And it's okay to read it in the spring, even. It doesn't matter. It's uh, it's called A Dog's Perfect Christmas by W. Bruce Cameron. Now time for a murder mystery. This one is entitled Murder at the Mina House. That's M-E-N-A, the Mina House. It's book number one, so the first one in a Jane Wonderly mystery series by Erica Ruth Neubauer. Here's the plot. Well-heeled travelers from around the world flock to the Mina House Hotel, an exotic gem in the heart of Cairo, where cocktails flow, adventure dispels the aftershocks of World War I, and deadly dangers wait in the shadows. Egypt, 1926, that's the time frame. Fiercely independent American Jane Wonderly has made up her mind she won't be swept off her feet on a trip abroad. Despite her Aunt Millie's best efforts at meddling with her love life, the young widow would rather gaze at the great pyramids of Giza than uh, into the eyes of a dashing stranger. Yet Jane's plans to remain cool and indifferent become ancient history in the company of Mr. Redvers, a roguish banker that she can't quite figure out. While the Mina House has its share of charming guests, Anna Stainton isn't one of them. The beautiful socialite makes it clear that she won't share the spotlight with anyone, especially Jane. But Jane soon becomes the center of attention when she's the one standing over her unintentional rival's dead body. Well, now with her innocence at stake in a foreign country, Jane must determine who can be trusted and who had the motive to commit a brutal murder. Between Aunt Millie's unusual new acquaintances, a swarmy playboy with an off-putting smile, and the enigmatic Mr. Redvers, someone has too many secrets. Can Jane excavate the horrible truth before her future falls to ruin in Cairo? And then the body count rises like the desert heat. Sounds like a Pretty interesting mystery story, a brand new series by Erica Ruth Neubauer, and that is called Murder at the Mina House. It's book number one in a Jane Wonderly mystery series. And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, an exclusive production of the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you're enjoying the program. Let's move on with another book that I think you would enjoy. It's called The Restaurant by Pamela M. Kelly. This is from the USA Today and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of Nantucket Neighbors and Nantucket White Christmas. Perhaps you have read one of those. Three sisters, an inherited Nantucket restaurant, one year before they can sell. Mandy, Emma, and Jill are as close as three sisters who live hundreds of miles apart can be. 
They grew up together on Nantucket, but Mandy is the only one that stayed. Jill lives a glamorous life in Manhattan as a co-owner of a successful executive search firm. Never married, she is in her mid-thirties and lives in a stunning corner condo with breathtaking views of the city and the Hudson River. Now, everyone thinks there's something going on with her partner, Nick, because as a workaholic, she spends more time with him than anyone else. But there's never been anything but friendship between them, and Nick loves being a bachelor in New York City. Emma lives in Arizona and is an elementary school teacher and an aspiring photographer. She met her college professor husband, Peter, in grad school, and they've been married for over 15 years. In recent years, she's noticed that Peter has grown distant. But when he shares a surprising secret, she doesn't see it coming, and her world is turned upside down. Mandy followed her high school boyfriend, Corey, to Boston College, and after graduation, they married, and Corey joined a successful hedge fund in Boston. While Mandy stayed home and had two two children, Blake and Brooke, they moved home to Nantucket when Corey opened a competitive hedge fund, and now the children are older, Mandy is eager to do more than coordinate local charity events, but Corey doesn't want her to work. He thinks it doesn't reflect well on him, and appearances are everything to Corey, though when Mandy finds a second cell phone in his gym bag, she begins to question what is really going on. When their beloved grandmother, Ethel Ferguson, passes peacefully in her sleep a week before her 99th birthday, she leaves them quite a surprise. In addition to her Nantucket home, they learn that she was the silent owner of Mimi's Place, one of Nantucket's most popular year-round restaurants. There is, of course, a catch. She left the restaurant equally to Mandy, Emma, and Jill and also to Paul, the restaurant chef, for the past 15 years. And before they can sell, all three girls must work at the restaurant for one year, or their shares of the restaurant will go to Paul. The same Paul that broke one of their hearts many years ago. Which one? Well, I think you're going to have to listen to this one in order to find out. It sounds like an interesting story on Nantucket. The uh, restaurant is what it's called, The Restaurant by Pamela M. Kelly. Now let's take a look at another nonfiction book that was very popular during the month of January at the Library for the Blind. This one is called Nerves of Steel, How I Followed My Dreams earned my wings, and faced my greatest challenge. And it's by Tammy Jo Schultz. Nerves of Steel is the captivating story of Tammy Jo Schultz's remarkable life, from growing up the daughter of a humble rancher to breaking through gender barriers as one of the Navy's first female F.A. 18 Hornet pilots to safely landing the severely crippled Southwest Airlines Flight 1380 and helping save the lives of 148 people. Tammy Jo Schultz, that's spelled S-H-U-L-T-S, by the way, she has spent her entire life loving the skies. 
Though the odds were against her, she became one of the few female fighter pilots in the Navy. In 1994, after serving her country honorably for eight years, Tammy Jo left the Navy and joined Southwest Airlines in the early 1990s. On April 17, 2018, Tammy Jo was called to service once again, 20 minutes into a routine domestic flight. Captain Schultz was faced with the unthinkable, a catastrophic engine failure in the Boeing 737. It caused an explosion that punctured hydraulic lines and severed fuel lines, tearing away sections of the plane, puncturing a window and taking a woman's life. Captain Schultz and her first officer, Darren Elizer, struggled to stabilize the aircraft. Drawing deeply from her well of experience, Tammy Jo was able to wrestle the severely damaged 737 safely to the ground. Not originally scheduled for that flight, there is no doubt God had prepared her and placed her right where she needed to be that day. Sometimes the, the truth is more exciting than fiction, and I think this is one of those cases. It's a book called Nerves of Steel, How I Followed My Dreams, Earned by Wings and Faced, Earned My Wings and Faced My Greatest Challenge. And it's by Tammy Jo Schultz. Our next book is also one of nonfiction. It's called The Man Who Ran Washington. It's the life and times of James A. Baker III, and it was written by Peter Baker. Named a best book of the year by the New York Times, the Washington Post, Fortune, and Bloomberg. From two of America's most revered political journalists comes the definitive biography of legendary White House Chief of Staff and Secretary of State James A. Baker III, the man who ran Washington when Washington ran the world. For a quarter century from the end of Watergate to the aftermath of the Cold War, no Republican won the presidency without his help or ran the White House without his advice. James Addison Baker III was the indispensable man for four presidents because he understood better than anyone how to make Washington work at a time when America was shaping events around the world. The Man Who Ran Washington is a page-turning portrait of a power broker who influenced America's destiny for generations. A scion of Texas aristocracy who became George H.W. Bush's best friend on the tennis court of the Houston Country Club. Baker had never even worked in Washington until a devastating family tragedy struck when he was 39. Within a few years, he was leading Gerald Ford's campaign and would go on to manage a total of five presidential races and win a sixth for George, H., uh, for George W. Bush in a Florida recount. He ran Ronald Reagan's White House and became the most consequential Secretary of State since Henry Kissinger. He negotiated with Democrats at home and Soviets abroad, rewrote the tax code, assembled the coalition that won the Gulf War, brokered the reunification of Germany, and helped bring a decades-long nuclear superpower standoff to an end. Ruthlessly partisan, 
During campaign season, Baker governed as the avatar of pragmatism over purity and deal-making over division, a lost art in today's fractured nation. His story is a case study in the acquisition, exercise, and preservation of power in late 20th century America, and the story of Washington and the world in the modern era. How it once worked, and how it has transformed into an era of gridlock and polarization. This masterly biography by two brilliant observers of the American political scene is destined to become a classic. This is The Man Who Ran Washington, The Life and Times of James A. Baker III, written by Peter Baker. Now let's take a look at a book that is fiction, but based on some reality, too. It's called Bonnie, a novel by Christina Schwartz. This number one New York Times bestselling author of Drowning Ruth vividly evokes the perennially fascinating true crime love affair of Bonnie and Clyde. In this suspenseful, gorgeously detailed fictional portrait of Bonnie Parker, one of America's most enigmatic women. Born in a small town in the desolate reaches of western Texas and shaped by her girlhood in an industrial wasteland on the outskirts of Dallas, Bonnie Parker was a natural performer and a star student. She dreamed of being a movie star or a singer or a poet, but her dramatic nature, contorted by her limited opportunities and her overwhelming love for Clyde Barrow, pushed her into a course from which there was no escape but death. Infusing the psychological acuity of literary fiction with the relentless pacing of a thriller, Bonnie follows Bonnie from her bright, promising youth to her final month of shootouts, kidnappings, and desperate car crashes through America's hinterland in the grip of the Great Depression as the noose of the law tightened around her. Enriched by Christina Schwartz's extensive research in the footsteps of Bonnie and Clyde and written with her powerful sense of place and time, Bonnie is a plaintive and page-turning account of a woman destroyed by a lethal combination of longing and love. It's called Bonnie, and it's a novel by Christina Schwartz. One more before we close. This is a novel by A.F. Carter called All of Us. All of Us is a riveting thriller with six compelling protagonists who all share one body. Though legally she is Carolyn Grand, in practice she is Martha, a homemaker who cooks and cleans for her family. Victoria, a put-together people person. Serena, a free spirit. Kirk, a heterosexual man. Elena, a promiscuous risk-taker and Tina, a manifestation of what is left of Carolyn after years of childhood sexual abuse. As they jockey for control of their body, all the personalities work together to avoid being committed to a psychiatric facility. But Carolyn's tenuous normal is shattered when Hank Grand, the man who who abused her and leased her out to pedophiles, is released from prison. Soon he begins stalking her, bringing back painful memories for all the personalities. Well, when Hank is murdered in a seedy hotel room, the police and the reader are left wondering, are any of Carolyn's personalities capable of murder? 
This is a deeply suspenseful novel with a truly unique cast of characters called All of Us by A.F. Carter. And that's it for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. Hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, simply Google or search North Carolina Library for the Blind or call toll-free 888-388-2460. You can use those same numbers to join the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind as well. This program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Heard Any Good Books Lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long until next time.